So integrated, what does that mean? It means you need to be on the right platform to the right audience at the right time. People consume content completely differently nowadays. Before, in the old days, it would be radio, TV, and print. Those are your main players. You'd put an ad up and hope for the best, right? Sure. And back then, they worked. Welcome, everyone, to the Ask a CEO Show. Ask a CEO interviews bring us inside the corner office and C-suite for discussions with top executives about their journey to leadership and the reality of running their companies today. Our host, Greg Dimetrio, is the CEO of Lorraine Gregory Communications, an award-winning integrated marketing company. He is also the founder of gregscorneroffice.com, the home of the Ask a CEO interviews. Greg has been in the business for over 30 years. He is a resource to the media, an invited columnist and speaker on marketing and business topics. Over the years, Greg has talked to hundreds of CEOs and executives about what it took to make it to the corner office and what it is really like being the leader of their companies. And now he brings those conversations to you. Here's Greg now. I am Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset Show and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Greg Demetrio, CEO of Lorraine Gregory Communications. Greg has been the CEO for the last 25 years following a highly decorated tenure as a New York City detective. LGC has grown significantly under Greg's guidance and they have pivoted when the marketplace dictated. Lorraine Gregory's creativity and openness is how they have gained clients from all industries. Greg is an accomplished author, invited business writer, and speaker. He and LGC are incredibly generous within their local community, and I'm glad I have the pleasure of knowing him. It's my distinct pleasure to welcome Greg Demetrio to the Midland Money Mindset. Thanks for joining us, Greg, today. Larry, thanks so much for that great introduction. I really appreciate it. Thanks for letting me come on the show. I appreciate that and welcome. And it's great to have you here and see you. As we've talked about in the introduction, you're with Lorraine Gregory Communications, a company that you started a while back. Can you tell us how <laughs> Lorraine Gregory came about? Sure. It's an interesting story. I bought a job, quite okay. frankly. It was your second job, I'm right? retired from the New York City Police Department. I was a detective in the Manhattan DA squad. I ran into a little bit of trouble and I retired. Well, thank you for your service. Thank you so much. Much appreciated. And when I retired, I went to work with a brother of mine. He came out from a corporate setting to go into business with one of his vendors, and they were doing proxy mail, security mail. And he asked me to come and help him, and I did. And then he passed away real suddenly, and I needed a job. I was in the middle of a divorce. And I was in a state of flux, and I had bills, and I had an apartment, and I needed a job. So my now wife, Lorraine, and I, we found a little company in Bethpage, a little ad in the Times. If you remember, they said, you found it in the Times, was the byline, right? I found it in the Times, said, direct mail. I don't think that happens anymore. I'm not so sure <laughs> it does, no. So I went to meet with the owner, and he was a really nice guy. And he was pretty open about the business. It was a tiny little business. It was in two storefronts in Bethpage. It didn't have any equipment at all, no computer, no fax machine. But what it had was a 25-year history of profitable work. Wow. Small. Only had about 25 customers, right? And I think back then in 92, which is when this happened, I think the gross was about $225,000. Right? Wow. But I had a job, right. which I didn't have before that. Did you have employees? Did you inherit employees? <laughs> I did. 
there were three little old ladies in the back room stuffing envelopes and one driver and me. And that was it. So that's 92. And it's been quite a ride since then. I'm sure we're going to go into it a little later, but it's quite a different company today than it was in 1992. But I'm so grateful that I took that chance in 92 because here it is 2020 and we have a completely different company that's well-respected and well-known. Yeah. So, I mean, let's talk about that a little bit, right? You've grown from two little storefronts in Bethpage to how many thousands of square feet now? We're now in 25,000 square feet. We have 35 employees. I'd like to say we're the agency in the front of the house and the factory in the back of the house because we still have a rather large printing and mail division. But to really differentiate us, what we've done is created two television and video production studios. One is a 3,500 square foot soundstage and the other is a green screen environment. If people don't know that, you have a chroma green background and you can pretty much project anything on there. So that's our differentiator. As far as the agency is concerned, we're a full service integrated marketing company and we can take projects from concept to strategy to design to execution and then analytics. And are there certain industries that you're drawn to? We've changed the business model some. We used to call ourselves a boutique, and we're still a boutique. Well, pretty much we can handle anything. We figured out how to do this. We're pretty good at what we do now. And we like to take whatever comes in the door. But if you're asking me what about our business model focus is going to be going forward, yes, we've become much more sophisticated, much more high level than we've ever been before. And we're aimed at the middle market, and we're probably going to go into three different verticals, healthcare, professional services, and financial industry. So that's going to be our main focus, but that doesn't mean we're going to shut the door on anybody else. Right. Do you still do those proxy votings from what you inherited way back when? Actually, no. That's a completely different part of the industry. The unique part of this, however, and that's an interesting story, and I don't know how much time we have, but I'll make the brief as I can. Payne Weber, when it went to Jersey, we were doing all the work for their proxy department as a private company. So we went from zero to a $5 million company overnight. This is back in 1988. And because my brother had been in Wall Street for 30 some odd years, he knew all the money people, he knew everybody on the street, he knew all the players, right? And we were going to take Payne Weber's proxy department. Payne Weber at the time was one of the major brokerage houses. And we were going to take their proxy department and put it on our payroll and then build upon that because we would have been the only outside agency that was handling a major brokerage. There was another one in New Hyde Park that handled all the little guys. But as Payne Weber being our foundation, we felt we we had the highway in front of us. Absolutely. And then my brother passed away. So we were actually in the process. As a matter of fact, the, the day he died, the conversation we had, he had already lined up $75 million in funding to do this. Unfortunately, when he passed, he had two partners who were not nearly as smart as him or as talented as him. And all they were about was that money they made. They had never made so much money in their lives. And virtually what happened is they closed the doors. I wanted to buy it. They wouldn't sell it to me because they thought I was going to make a success of it. I knew most of my brother's friends. All right. And they wouldn't sell it to me. So it's a different industry completely. Right. So now the same company where we were going is a company called Broadridge. Mm -hmm. Broadridge is the largest international 
securities communication company in the world. They're about, I don't know, 15, 18 billion dollar company. And in my little company, Lorraine Gregory, happens to be across the street from me. There you go. All right. So you are connected to the proxies still in some exactly. way. Some way, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So listen, I mean, over the years, you must have seen, you definitely have seen marketing really change significantly. And in today's environment, any business, if you're not growing, you're dying. And one key component to growing is marketing. What's the most cost-effective way for a business today to market themselves? There are so many. You almost can't keep track. There's new ones every single day. Most of the times, they're not very expensive at all. It's a matter of how you mix them, right? So integrated, what does that mean? It means you need to be on the right platform to the right audience at the right time. People consume content completely differently nowadays. Before, in the old days, it would be radio, TV, and print. Right. Those were your main players. Right. You'd put an ad up and hope for the best, right? Sure. And back then, they worked. And there was no way to track it, really. And there was no way to track Zero. it except the amount of money coming over the transom. Correct. That's not the way it's done anymore. So you have to figure out where your audience is and how you're going to reach them. There's so many different tools now. Our job is to keep track of what tools are available and how they work together. So you have communication between the client and our company, right? That's now all electronic. Right. I very rarely talk to people on the phone anymore, which is sad, kind of, but it's much more efficient, all right, because we plug them into different software packages to make sure their work is done exactly as they expect it, right? We get to think a little side out of the box and do something we hope exceeds their expectations. But it's all more streamlined now because of the very, what do they call it, SaaS, S-A-A-S. Software as Software a service. Software as a service, right. which is in the cloud. Right. So it's not like you have to buy these 10, 20, 30, $40,000 programs anymore. You subscribe sure. and you pay a monthly fee and you get all the power of those services. A matter of fact, we're here in your podcast. My podcast is run by a guy in London. Right. That's the way. So why am I on a podcast at all? All right, because it makes me different from my competitors. Sure. If you're going into marketing, you're a business, you want to market, is there a return on investment that you should go into that expecting through that process? Well, no, because you need to test everything that you do. So you can't just say, I need a 20 or a 30% ROI and hope to achieve it by throwing whatever you can against it, right? You need to test everything. So you need to put pieces of the puzzle in place and see how it performs. Now in the days of analytics, you can see that readily. Right. You know how many people are going, how long they're staying, what pages they're going to. And did you lose them in an e-card if you're an e-commerce vendor, right? You'll know how long they were in. Did they leave anything in the cart? So now if they left something in the cart, you have the opportunity to go back to them and say, hey, guess what? We saw you left something in the cart. Maybe we can answer a question and increase your return, increase right. your conversion rate. Two key words that they like to throw around are engagement and conversion. First, you engage your client, your prospect, right? Your community, right? And then you try to convert them to a sale. It doesn't happen. You don't put a sale flyer up and people click on it all of a sudden. If they don't know you, they don't have any respect for you. They don't have any history with you. So you engage them first. And how do you do that? You provide valuable information, like your Midland Minutes, right? right? You're giving information, important information that people might not know. And what does that do? It annoys them to you. 
Right. And then you'll become top of mind. It's the process that happens to get there. Many people want to do it overnight. Well, if I put an ad on Facebook, I'm going to get X. No, you're not. Yeah, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Agreed. Now, you bring up a good point. Now with software as a service, you have these analytics. I mean, can small and mid-size mom and pop even businesses or local businesses, small, medium-sized, whatever box you want to put them in, do they have the ability to market very similarly to the large corporations? Has this leveled the playing field to some degree? To some degree, to some degree. If you use the right outreach, the right platforms and the right mix, you can get inside the C-suite, all right? It's as difficult as it always has been to reach the decision makers. But even if you're a small and medium-sized company, you have so much more firepower now to do that. Using LinkedIn, you can target the job title that you need to reach. Right. So I think what you're saying is just so I understand this. So if you're going business to business, that playing field may not be as level because you still have to get to that decision maker and it may be difficult to get there. If you're a business to consumer, has that playing field leveled a little bit Oh, absolutely. More? No question. Again, I mean, you have the big providers that you can put your products on. You have Etsy. You have Amazon, right? You have eBay. All of those things, the little guy can get on readily. It's about how you brand yourself to give yourself that gravitas that people say, hey, this guy's not working out of his garage. Right. But again, it's a process because you can't just post stuff on those big shoppers. You need to build the audience. So how do you do that? You do that with Facebook advertising, you do that with Google advertising, you do that with geo-targeting of your consumers. You go on sites like your local town has a mom site. And if right. you're selling sneakers, you would go on the mom site. Right. Why? Because their kid's hounding them about getting a pair of sneakers. So it's not like the field of dreams. If you build it, they will oh, come. You no. actually, you, you you'll actually be wasting to... a ton of money. You'll be mowing a lot of grass. Right. Right. Being that we're in the midst, a couple months out from the pandemic at this point in time, have you seen a shift in marketing practices as a result of it? Yeah, sadly, when COVID hit, everybody panicked. Nobody knew what was coming next. So the doors got shut literally and figuratively, right? We deal mostly with B2B type companies. So they put their people at home. Half of them didn't know how to do remote work. They figured it out eventually. I spoke to 20 some odd CEOs in our region, and I produced something called the COVID Chronicles of what they were going through in COVID. And they all were supremely cautious about what came next. So what happens when you do that? You hold on to your cash. So guess what? We had projects in the pipeline. We had mailings in the pipeline. We had websites in the pipeline and things were put on hold. So now six months later, we're starting to see everybody's looking. They're tired of being locked away. Americans can't be locked away forever. It's not going to happen, right? right? They got to break out. They're going to take more chances now to break out. But they also understand that the market's coming back. You go down Main Street, USA, and you see more cars. You see more people in the stores. You go to the train stations, there's more cars in the train station. So it's coming back. Yeah, so the owners pulled back initially from that. But I mean, as far as their practices and how they were marketing, have there been any changes oh my in goodness, regard yes. to that? Oh my goodness, like the, yes. the actual techniques that they're using? Absolutely, yes. What are they doing differently today? They're looking online specifically because you can't have face-to-face -face sales, meaning you have to figure out how to do that. So many of them are producing content now that they've never produced before. And that's the key thing online is content. You need to produce content to be in front of your audience. Many people are doing podcasts and videos and whatnot, and there'll be a flash in the pan like everybody else. You know, oh, we tried direct mail once, it didn't work, and they don't do it anymore. Right. All right. 
But people who understand the process, it's about reaching the audience. I mean, yeah, you're not going to build an audience no, overnight. I, mean, I think the stats that I've read through my research have been all along the lines of it really takes a year of having consistent content being posted and information being shared to build that audience. Absolutely. You're one of the better practitioners of that with your Midland Minutes and now your podcast and the way you approach the audience. You're out there. People see you. They get to know who Larry Sprung is. They get to know who Midland Financial is. That's the point. So just following up on that, my podcast, my video series, Ask a CEO interview series, we were doing that on video prior to COVID. Right. So then we're home. Now, prior to COVID, I was in the studio. I had two camera guys. I had a sound guy and a producer and then myself. So there's a lot of people in the same room. All of a sudden, Couldn't nobody's coming in. Couldn't do it. <laughs> right. Couldn't do it. Right. So, all right. So, I'm at home, and I'm talking to my colleagues and my friends all over the place. We keep in touch with each other. And they said, well, wait a minute. If I can do this on Zoom, I can continue to do it. So, the initial ones were a little shaky because I was unfamiliar with the technology involved with it. But as we've gone forward, it's gotten much better, right? So, I'm very comfortable with it now. People are very comfortable with Zoom now. Right. right? They're used to seeing remotes. They're not used to seeing people side by side on a couch anymore right. or across from a desk. So it played right into my mindset. And I said, well, wait a minute, why can't I do this? So what we've done is we've created a more robust series. I forgot the number. We're probably 40 in already, right, of interviews with CEOs. But what's the hottest thing now? Podcasts. So we said, you know what? We're already doing it in a video format. Why don't we pull out the audio and make that a podcast? Right. So that's exactly what we've you done. Shifted. So each interview now has two presentations. It's on video on YouTube, right? Greg's Corner Office on YouTube. Right. And it's on podcasts. Right. And if you search Ask a CEO on your podcast platforms and you'll find it. So the reach has gone amazing. Amazing. I had a pretty good following on LinkedIn before several thousand. So we launched on June 22nd, the Ask a CEO podcast version. And I believe we're closing in on 20,000 downloads. Wow. What do you attribute that success to? I mean, I know that's that series, the Ask the CEO has been a tremendous yeah, success. Really, we've been so blessed. And I know switching it to podcasts has even ramped that up, again, stripping out that audio. What do you attribute that success to? Me. Okay. How so? How so? What? No, I'm being just facetious. looking good. Well, on the podcast, they can't tell how good. Well, you're I told looking, you I had to get my tux know? out of the cleaner, right. so I sounded good right. today, right? right? So, no, it's really interesting because people want to hear from CEOs. All right, what's it like running a company? Now, I've had the luxury of talking to hundreds of CEOs over the years. I've been in the business for a long time, but what I recognized was that when I talk to CEOs, I learn. There's always a pearl that comes out of the conversations. Mm -hmm. So maybe three years ago, we decided we were going to produce something called Ask a CEO. And originally what it was is I would send my friends and colleagues who were CEOs questions. And they would answer, give them back to me in written form. And we would produce them in a really nice booklet and nice online, whatever. It was really, really kind of nice, I thought. Right. And then we were fortunate enough to land an interview with Michael Dowling, the head of Northwell. Sure. He thought it was supposed to be a video. I was unprepared, but I was not going to dissuade him from it not being a video. Right, of course not. So we went up to Northwell to his office. The man is the most gracious, kindest, outgoing guy you're ever going to meet in your life. And he sat there with me for 40 minutes in front of a camera. And I had so much gold 
in what he was saying. He's an amazing man. He's brilliant. And there was so much gold. I couldn't put it out in one version. We had to split it up into six segments, and I called it Mondays with Michael. He had his own series. To have his own series. Right. And that was the beginning of the video concept. That's great. That was a huge nugget right huge, there. Right there. And that sure. was a great attractor. So now what we've done, we've actually used a lot of my colleagues that are local here, but now we've reached out. Now with the podcast, we're reaching out globally. Sure. Right. We're also reaching out to higher CEOs, bigger companies, middle market companies in the verticals that we want to attract. So there you go. Here's how integrated gets together. What's our business model? Healthcare, professional services, and financial. Right. And being that your network's around there, they're listening and then they're sharing and, they're and they're sharing. commenting and talking. My recruiters focused on those industries at middle market level. So just yesterday, I interviewed a psychologist who has a large practice with many other psychologists. She's also a speaker. She's also got a corporate offering to train and about mental wellness and so forth with corporations in British Columbia. Oh, wow. You see? So I have a guy in California we did, we no did Florida, needed. we did no more borders. Yeah. And what happens is I get a reach into a whole nother audience, see? And we've figured out how to implant our own commercial in the middle. There you go. So there you go. So it's going to pay for itself, right? Not that it's all that expensive to do, but you pay for yourself. And then hopefully you get these CEOs. I'm already in the C-suite. Right. And if I call them tomorrow, they're going to remember who I am. They're going to answer my call. And they're going to say, who handles your marketing? Yeah. Maybe we could talk to them. So Greg, let's shift the focus for a minute from business to community for a moment. Can you tell us a little bit about what charitable endeavors that are you're passionate about? Well, it kind of goes back further than that, actually. In 1995, I think it was, I belonged to something called the NSFRE, National Society of Fundraising Executives. That's since changed to the uh, Association of Fundraising Professionals, AFP. Right. So I was a member, I was an honoree, and I was a board member. Nonprofits, charity, community has always been important to me. Recently, I was on the board of Long Island Community Foundation, which funds nonprofits, which gave me a really keen understanding of how much we depend on these charities and nonprofits to provide programs to people who really need them. The government can't do it. Right. The government is not on the street. It's not at the ground level. I've always had a passion for the nonprofit world. It's good people, good causes was a tagline I came up for one of the philanthropy days. And that's so true. Good people, good causes. These people believe in what they do. They support the constituency and they actually have, get results. And what causes are really important to you? Pretty much right now, what I focus on is children's causes and PTSD in the first responder community. Okay, yeah. I know you've created and are very active in promoting your own hashtag on Twitter and I guess across all social media platforms for that matter. And you've created the hashtag just one. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think it's really powerful and people should know about it. What do you mean just one? I think if we each focused on saving one person from suicide, whatever the cause, whatever puts them in suicide ideation mode, if we can save just one, we would be ultimately blessed by doing that. And I think if we can get enough people paying attention, looking for the signs, understanding what causes it, understanding how people get into that mindset, then we as a community, as a nation, as a world can have an impact because the numbers are staggering now. Right. I mean, Larry, you know a lot more about this because of your associations, but the numbers are just staggering. You don't have to go very far, especially in the law enforcement community. 
Correct. And I'm an old detective, so my heart is with them. And every time I see one of these, it breaks my heart. Because being a survivor of PTSD, I know how easy it could be to get to that point. I was very fortunate. I didn't go down that rabbit hole. But I can tell you right now, for all those years that I suffered, you can't connect dot A with dot B and dot C in in a straight line. It's not going to happen. Listen, that hashtag has always left an impression upon me, especially because of my involvement with suicide prevention and the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And I've always felt like if you could save one life, sometimes you don't even know that you did. You may have just had an impact or said the right thing to the right person on the right day and may have impacted their life and changed their path. I know that you've been very involved in the community, as you mentioned earlier. How important do you think it is as a business owner, as a person in the community, to be an active participant in your local community? Well, I to go back to what I said. The government can't do it. They just can't. And they can't do it well, right? You don't have to look too far to find out they're spending gazillions of dollars and not having a real effect. They waste money like drunken sailors. The nonprofit community needs our support as business owners, verbally, monetarily, or with our own selves, our own being. I think that's a good point that you bring up, and I don't want to let that go. I think a lot of people, when they hear about nonprofits and doing charity work, their immediate inclination is, oh, I'm going to have to open up my checkbook. And I think a lot of times you hit on a great point. It doesn't necessarily mean you write a check. It may mean you lending your expertise in whatever area you're an expert in to that charity or actually picking up a hammer and knocking some nails for Habitat for Humanity or something along those lines. So what happens is you lend your expertise. So many of the boards that I've sat on that I sit on now Some, you know, in the board world, it's a give or a get. Either you give them so much or you get so much in donations, right? right? So when I'm approached to be on a board, my position is this. Listen, I don't have those deep pockets. I can't do that. But what I can do is help. And when I say that, I mean 100%. I mean, right now I'm working with the Dolan Family Health Center in Huntington Hospital. And they are a gem in the healthcare world. Their best practices beyond. They just came through an independent review and got stellar numbers that people don't usually see. And that's Um, for pancreatic cancer. No, that is a community health center for the diverse community in Huntington. Okay. This is their 25th year. I was invited on the board five years ago. And I'm trying to get them to be more visible because the Huntington Hospital, the Northwell Health Center, in my opinion, they do very good work, but in my opinion, they're not shining a bright enough light on that charity, on that unit of the hospital. So back to your original premise, how do you help if you're not going to give them money? Well, you have expertise. You're running a business. You know how to do a business. You know how to get stuff done. Right. They don't always want to hear what I have to say because I tell them they're doing a terrible job letting people know how great you are. Right. Right. Matter of fact, we just had a board meeting the other night and some of the high rollers from the health industry, the Northwell Health were there. And I told them exactly that. That You guys are doing a terrible job. And my silence in the room was crickets. Mm -hmm. But they heard me. And that's where I find that I'm adding my value to that nonprofit. If I can give them a few bucks every now and again, fine. Sure. Right. And they're always very appreciative of that. Right. There's a couple of other ones that I'm involved with. One of the coolest ones that you're going to know about is the Long Island Community Foundation. Mm -hmm. They manage your philanthropy. You create a donor advised fund. We have a family fund, Lorraine Gregory Family Fund. 
And every year the kids will contribute to it. Instead of giving each other Christmas presents, we'll contribute to it. We wind up with a, a bunch of money in there. And every year we'll decide as a family who we're going to support. And we do that through Long Island Community Foundation. Why? Because they vet the nonprofits. You're never going to give a nickel to a nonprofit that doesn't have best practices. Right. And people are afraid of that. Well, if I give them my money, how do I know it's going what I want? You need to have an arbiter. You mm -hmm. need to have a funnel. I agree. That takes that mystery out of it. I agree. I think that's a great lesson for people who are listening. You know, this is the Midland money mindset. And I think you bring up a great point. I think it's important for us as people to teach our kids not only the standard stuff, if you will, that they need to learn in the educational system, but they also have to learn how to be charitable and what that means. And I think setting aside money as a family every year is a great way. And then having a family vote about where it goes to present three different options. It shows the involvement and then shows them how that money is being spent and utilized. So they actually see that tangible end result. Exactly correct. It's when huge. COVID hit and the hospitals were overwhelmed. It was almost unanimous. It almost happened simultaneously across the whole family. We've got to do something. Right. So what did we do? We responded to the emergency room people, to the hospitals mm -hmm. who had, were overwhelmed in the emergency rooms. And that was a family decision. Right. And it made all the sense in the world to do. And it made our mindset of giving back as a family important. Sure. And the younger you do that, the better. Yeah. The younger you do that with your kids, the better off, grandkids, whomever. So again, this is the Midland Money Mindset. So we always ask this final question to everybody. I mean, we're almost over we're already. Almost I'm having done. a great yeah. time. Yeah. So Maybe we could do segment well, two. This might take you a little while, but we might invite you back depending on how you answer this question. No, I'm just okay. kidding. But what is the one thing that you do each day that brings you joy and puts you in the right mindset for success? This is the easiest question for me to answer. Well, it should be. You do it every day. When my feet hit the floor, I'm a Christian, my feet hit the floor, I make the sign of the cross, and I ask God to let me walk in your light one more day. Okay. And that puts me in the right frame of mind, keeps me open to any opportunities that I might come across, and the ability to respond to those opportunities. That's what I do every day. That's awesome. And we've heard some great things from some great people, and everybody does it different. And it's all a matter of finding what's good and what works for you. That gives me the energy to go forward. That puts my right feet on the right floor at the right time. And then, of course, I get down to business. <laughs> <laughs> Small little break. But listen, that's great. And we appreciate you taking time out of your day to come here. So, Greg, how do people find you? How do they find Lorraine Gregory Communications? It's Lorraine Gregory Communications. We're at LorraineGregory.com. We're also at Gregscorneroffice.com. The Ask a CEO interviews are on YouTube, and the podcasts are on Apple, Spotify, and any of the other podcast streaming services. And we're at 631-694-1500. Wow. And people still call. It's amazing. That, right. that still hasn't they gone do. away. They do. Well, listen, Greg, thanks for being here. It's been a pleasure to spend some time with you and uh, make it a great day. Terrific. Thanks, Larry. I want to thank Greg for being a guest today on the Midland Money Mindset. I hope you found our time together as a great use of your time. Greg is a great business person and an excellent friend. And as you can see, extremely charitably inclined. You can find him online on all social media platforms, either through Lorraine Gregory Communications or Greg Demetrio. 
Take a look at his Ask the CEO series and also be sure to follow the hashtag just one. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. That's a wrap on another Ask a CEO interview. We hope you enjoyed the talk. We'd love to hear from you. Visit gregscorneroffice.com, click the Ask a CEO tab, search your favorite listening app or view on YouTube. Click the subscribe button and don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook. Until next time, goodbye from Ask a CEO.